Um, one of my favorite stories about my dad, um, too, which uh, kind of connects to some of the work that I do in protecting nature, is that my dad was also a, a big hunter and a lover of the night sky. Um, and I remember when I was a little girl uh, here in the valley, um, there was you know news reports of Halley's Comet that was going to be coming and passing by Earth. And this was like in the 1980s at some point. And my dad, you know, loved uh, astronomy, and he was like, "This is only going to happen once every." 90 years or however long it was, we have to go out and see the comet. And so my dad drug me and my mom out and our next door neighbors. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty limited income, so we didn't have a real telescope, but he had somehow figured out how to makeshift some sort of big telescope that he brought out into the desert. And night after night, um, we looked for Halley's Comet. And so I have a, a deep love for the night sky. Um, and that's, that's due to my dad. That was Kristen Urquiza. And I grew up in Phoenix, in the Maryville neighborhood. And then my parents continued to live there, and I uh, went away to college and uh, traveled around a bunch of the country and now live in San Francisco, California. I came across Kristen Arquiza one day when I was scrolling on Twitter. She had written something that was being shared by people across the country. It was the obituary she published for her father, Mark Arquiza. He died from COVID-19 on June 30th at age 65. Statewide, more than 150,000 people have contracted the virus. More than 3,000 people have died. During this time, my colleagues and I at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com have been documenting as many experiences and perspectives as we can. We want to record this moment in history to be able to answer questions future generations might have. Questions like, what was it like to have or know someone who had COVID-19? So that's what I'm focusing on in today's episode. Welcome to Valley 101 a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. Our host, Kayla White, is out on furlough, so I'll be leading this episode solo. No two experiences are exactly the same during this pandemic. But over the course of several interviews done by myself and my colleagues, I've observed this sort of switch that occurs when people experience COVID-19 firsthand. Whether they're infected themselves or have a loved one who died from the coronavirus, they feel compelled afterward to convince others of the gravity of the situation. Take Jimmy Flores, for example. I think it's important to get the message out there because, you know, the more people that hear this and realize how serious it is, then that's good. So, Jimmy is 30 years old and lives in Tempe. He's always considered himself a healthy person. He thought he had nothing to worry about with the coronavirus. Because I just, it was just a joke to us, you know? Mm. And, and that's the sad part. And that, I'm sure that's how a lot of people think about it. You know, it's a joke. 
My colleague Audrey Jensen spoke to him after he was infected and hospitalized with COVID-19. He got infected after going out one night to a few bars in Scottsdale. One bar in particular was packed with people, so crowded that people began sharing drinks because there weren't enough glasses to go around. Then, in the middle of the night, he woke up feeling like he caught the flu. Later on, he went to the hospital. I just remember sitting there sick, you know, like freaking sick as a dog. Mm. And I'm, I'm contemplating going to the hospital, you know, and I see my friends going out. And I'm just like, what are you guys doing? Mm. You know? Like, like, yeah, I'm like, you guys are like me, I get it. You know, I, but man, like, only if you knew someone who seriously has it. And that's where I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> Jimmy decided to write a Facebook post documenting his experience in hopes that it would encourage people to see the coronavirus through a new light. Perhaps if they knew someone who had it, they would act with more caution. He pleaded with people to take it seriously. That post wasn't meant to be political. It was supposed to be me outing myself, saying, hey, I didn't take this seriously. I was like you. Mm. I didn't think I was going to get COVID. I didn't believe in COVID because I didn't know anyone that had it. Um, like, there's very ignorant stuff. And, and I got it. And I got it in the worst possible way. Mm. And so... You know, I, I outed myself and I was like, I hope that you guys can realize that, you know, now you know someone and I'm a very healthy person. As you heard Jimmy say, he didn't have any interest in getting political. But others, like Kristen Urquiza, whose father died, do want to get political. She said she feels obligated to, so that her father's death was not in vain. I was an early um, adopter of the pandemic being real and that there were going to be major risks. Kristen said she took it seriously because one of her good friends is an epidemiologist who expressed concern about COVID-19 early on. So I was you know, talking to my parents as early as <clears throat> early February saying, I know that you're starting to hear about this. I think it's going to be a big problem, and it could be a a major problem here. Kristen was confident her parents believed it was real. And when Governor Doug Ducey shut the state down during April and half of May, she said her mom and dad abided by the rules. You know, my parents and I were were basically on the same page, and I remember being grateful because there were so many of um, my friends and other people in my broader community who are sharing with me the difficulty that they were having with their parents and the, um, you know, boomer generation taking this seriously. And I was grateful that that wasn't the situation that I was up against. But things started to change in mid-May. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everyone had a nice weekend. Uh, To my right is... On May 15th, Governor Ducey let his stay-at-home order expire. Gyms, retail stores, restaurants, and more opened back up. Get your hair cut, get something to eat. He recommended guidelines for businesses to open safely and encouraged people to keep their distance and practice safety. And head home. That's where it's safest. 
But no mandates were handed down, and the enforcement was shoddy. We're going to do whatever we need to do to protect the people of, of Arizona. But today, these are steps in the right direction. They're balanced and they're safe. It was during that time period that, you know, when Ducey was encouraging people to go shopping, to, you know, go out to restaurants, that, you know, it became impossible for me to protect my parents. Uh, despite the fact that, you know, I was conveying a message, Dad, it's, you know, nothing has really changed. We just might be a little bit more prepared for more folks in the hospital, but this is still a huge threat. My, my dad, you know, would, would sort of turn to me and say, turn to me on the phone and say, Kristen, well, why is the, you know, why are they saying it's not a big deal, basically? You know, if the governor is saying it's okay to go out, like, I won't go out as much as I was, you know, and hang out with my friends um, like I was, but I, you know, it, it really sent a mixed message um, to him. And I believe is, you know, a, a big reason why he felt comfortable, you know, meeting up with friends to go out to a restaurant and um, uh, be able to catch up. Kristen said politics also played a role. Um, I was infuriated. Um, I was worried about my parents' safety. And I was worried about my dad's ability to, um, you know, be able to listen to me versus listen to, to his president and to his governor. I think the other thing to, to point out is that my dad, you know, was a registered Republican. He was a Trump supporter. He voted for Governor Ducey. Uh, he voted for Donald Trump. Uh, these are people that he entrusted in their advice. You know, it was easy for my dad once um, there was a downplaying of the severity of the crisis and, you know, the state was basically open back for business. It, it made it a lot easier for my dad to say, well, we're over the worst of it and I can follow my guys now and, and to, you know, my guys meaning, you know, my, my leaders and do what they're saying to do doing what they're saying they believe is safe. So during that process, it sounds to me and like you felt almost like you were competing with Ducey and Trump over your dad's behavior. Yeah, that's a great, um, yeah, that's a great way to, to put it. I, I did feel like I was competing um, and, you know, pushing a huge boulder um, uphill, but you know, I continued to engage both my parents about how I was responding, how I wanted them to respond because, you know, it's, it's I, I love them. I, I wanted them both to be safe and I, I knew that I couldn't stop even if I was up against a tidal wave of, of opponents. She said news reports that focused on senior care centers also made it easier for her dad to brush off the danger. This guy was full of life, did not associate himself as a senior citizen. I mean, maybe he did whenever he wanted to get the senior citizen discount, but not in the real sense of it. And, um, you know, those conversations with him were a lot more difficult. And I do think that we came to some compromises in the fact that he, you know, would have loved to have been out every single day, but only went out a few times um, to, you know, socialize with folks. And, um, you know, it still was not good enough to protect him. On June 11th, Mark Urquiza started feeling sick. Um, he woke up, uh, had a sore throat and a cough, and then over the course of the day quickly developed a really high fever. 
Kristen went into focus mode. She hoped this wouldn't happen, but was ready if it did. She started keeping tabs on her father's symptoms every day. Do you have shortness of breath? What color are your lips? You know, going through that list of, of items that say to watch out for, um, and, and then, you know, having them take their uh, blood oxygen level through a, a, a finger reader that I had gotten on the internet set, sent to them, um, and really work trying my best to help them manage their symptoms and track those symptoms um, over the course of, of when they got sick. So you actually ordered a little medical device just to keep tabs. Yeah, and I had a Google Doc where I had, you know, day by day, every single time I checked in, you know, to just monitor from afar um, what was happening. Mark was able to get tested for COVID-19 the day after he exhibited symptoms. But before he got his test results back, he got worse. And less than a week later, on June 16th, he was taken to the hospital. What went through your head? How did you feel? How were you operating and functioning when he went into the hospital? In total crisis mode. Um, I had to kind of sort of emotionally detach myself from it because I knew that I needed to be strong for my mother. You know, she had only these visions of mortality and, and death in her head. And so I was trying to be, you know, positive for her as well as positive for my dad to say, we need to take this moment by moment, um, really kind of get out in front of this, figure out what's going on, make sure that we're advocating for dad. And, um, you know, I, I sort of went into this, um, this like focused mode. I'm, I'm very much like my father when I'm, I'm very determined and probably a little stubborn too. But when I put my sight on something, I work like heck to get it done. But when she wasn't in focus mode, it all sank in. Honestly, I was terrified. Um, my, I remember my, son, my stomach sinking um, whenever uh, my dad asked to go to the hospital um, and then whenever he was admitted. When her father got to the hospital, she waited 16 hours before she spoke to him again. The experience of that is beyond agonizing, and I would not wish it upon my worst enemy. That was the hardest part of my dad going into the hospital. and nearly broke me. Her biggest fear was her dad being put on a ventilator. Trying to, trying to find out, well, what's happening? What, what is he going on a ventilator? I just remember asking, is he going onto a, vent, onto a ventilator? Because for, that, for me at that moment in time, a ventilator was kind of a symbol of a, a very bad case. For the first week or so of Mark Urquiza's hospital stay, he was relatively stable. And then afterwards, he uh, started to get, um, you know, he started, he, he took a turn uh, really quickly. Um, that was very hard because uh, there was a huge gap between whenever he stopped text messaging us because we were in constant text messaging mode to one another with my mom. And then he just stopped on, on Friday the, the 26th um, at some point in the morning. 
The doctor called Kristen and her mother to tell them the news. He started uh, to decline rapidly and was being rushed to the ICU to be put on a ventilator. Um, when I was told that, I dropped to my, my knees um, and said, you know, you know, I screamed out. I, I wailed. I, I literally dropped to my knees and wailed because for me that really symbolized um, the, the thing that I did not want to happen. Like I was prepared to, for as long as possible, you know, be in the situation that I was in, um, but I was not prepared for that, um, for that news. Family members hadn't been allowed to visit in the hospital. So Kristen had stayed in San Francisco. But at this point, she knew it was time to drive home. My mother actually ended up being able to spend a few hours with him before he passed away. Um, and I was on my way home um, to uh, try and be with him um, whenever I got the news that you know he, his heart was failing and he was passing. I was on the I-5 freeway um, in California, pulled over at a gas station. Um, my father ended up dying alone with only a nurse holding his hand. My dad had such incredible energy, charisma, was the life of the party, um, and cared deeply about uh, his family and his community. Kristen said she thinks most of her family is still in shock. A month ago, her dad was fine. And now he's gone. And she's not just sad. She's furious. In fact, several of her family members are. What really, in my opinion, resulted in him getting sick was the misinformation that the Ducey administration, following the lead of the Trump administration, uh, has been really sharing with people in the Valley and across the state about downplaying the pandemic as early, you know, as late as early June uh, for preventing other municipalities from passing stronger measures such as wearing masks. Here's Kristen's aunt, the sister of Mark Arquiza. I mean, I don't see why we couldn't have stayed closed just another month, but it's always like that, you know, the greed and... You know, fortunately, it cost my brother's life, like so many others, not just our brothers, but many brothers and sisters and families torn apart because of this. That audio was collected the day of Mark's funeral. The cemetery does not let anybody witness the lowerings as it would be in our tradition. On behalf of the family, I'd like to thank you all very much for coming. I'll see you later. So I understand from... Um, a story in, in the Arizona Republic that one of my colleagues wrote and interviewed you for that your family decided to invite Governor Doug Ducey to your father's funeral. Can you explain that decision? Sure. Um, that was my decision. I wanted to invite the governor there in order to help show um, the faces and the families that are experiencing this loss. Um, at the time, it felt like he... Um, you know, was only referring to the numbers, the numbers of people who are are, are sick or missing. And, and really, this is about people and lives that are lost. Um, and I wanted to be able to help demonstrate the incredible 
um, you know, loss of life and that my father's life mattered. Governor Ducey did not attend. At press briefings, he said he mourns the loss of all lives lost. On the day before Mark Urquiza died, Governor Ducey closed the bars again. On July 9th... Today, there's a new executive order that will limit indoor dining. He announced an executive order limiting dine-in service at restaurants to 50% capacity. After the funeral, Mark's family sat outside the state capitol, holding posters and photos of Mark. They spoke to a few state leaders about the deadly consequences of inaction regarding the coronavirus. You got positive too. We need a plan to start flattening the curve and we need a, like, people to really take responsibility. Yeah, and to realize that but this is real. There's the still public. a lot of people that believe that it's not real. Mm-hmm. Wait till one of their loved ones gets sick and dies. Then are they going to believe it's real then? Did you write the obituary for your father in the paper? Yeah, my, my partner and I worked on it with a friend. I was wondering if you might be willing to read the obituary for me. Um, yes, I can do that. Let me pull it up here. You ready? Yeah. And then after that, I think I do need to run. Okay. So Mark Anthony Urquiza passed away on June 30th after more than three weeks battling COVID-19. Mark was a high school 400-meter dash state champion and cross-country runner. Mark was known for his infectious energy, strong will, and yes, stubbornness. He met his wife, Brenda, at Tolleson Union High School. They welcomed their only child, Kristen Danielle, in 1981. The family loved their annual summer vacations to California, where Kristen now lives. Mark, who was often called Blackjack by his friends and family, was a lover of nature, the night sky, and politics, and was the life of the party. Along with Brenda and Kristen Danielle, he is loved and missed by siblings Frank Sierkisa, Benny Sierkisa, Richard Sierkisa, Diana Ucamacho, Gina Urquiza Waters, siblings in law Carol Urquiza, Chris Waters, Yvonne Urquiza, and Ray Camacho, his nieces and nephews, the broader community of Tolleson, Arizona, and countless friends. He is preceded in death by his parents Venancio and Ruth Urquiza and his brother George. Mark, like so many others, should not have died from COVID-19. His death is due to the carelessness of the politicians who continue to jeopardize the health of brown bodies through a clear lack of leadership, refusal to acknowledge the severity of this crisis, and inability and unwillingness to give clear and decisive direction on how to minimize risk. Mark's daughter, Kristen Danielle, and daughter-in-law, Christine, are channeling our sadness and rage into building an awareness campaign so fewer families are forced to endure this. We honor Mark's life by continuing this fight for others, even in our darkest moments. Kristen Danielle will be starting an ofrenda, an altar with pictures of those lost to COVID-19, outside the Arizona State Capitol building on Wednesday evening at 4.30. All are welcome to bring pictures of their loved ones who are suffering from COVID or who have passed. For more information, follow Marked by COVID on Facebook. That's all for today's episode of Valley 101. 
As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Kayla is out this week due to furloughs. If you would like to support our show financially, please subscribe at azcentral.com slash join. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week.